Amen. Good morning. Well, family, let's get our Bibles out. Open to 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14, page 1321 in the Pew Bible in front of you. You want to have God's Word in front of you so you can stay with us, stay with me, keep up today. Make sure that I'm not making any of this up because it at times may sound like I am. Now, I offered the other pastors the opportunity to jump in here at any time they wanted to. No takers. No takers. Wonder why that is. Many people believe 1 Corinthians 14 to be the most difficult chapter in the New Testament. I don't agree with that. I would say that it is... Uh, definitely challenging, but I would not say that it's the most difficult chapter in the New Testament. But it certainly uh, has been just a joy to be able to study in preparation for all of the time we've been able to spend in 12 and 13 and now chapter 14. So here we are eight months into this journey through 1 Corinthians. And we're coming, we're about 90% through it, uh, but, you know, there's over 600 verses that we will have covered by the time we complete this time together. So let's pray and ask God to help us, and we'll look at 1 Corinthians 14, at least the first part today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we have this morning to be together as a family. We thank you for each one here, God, and we are grateful that you have just in your providence brought us to this place at this time before this text. God, knowing that there are things in here that we need to know and understand that will help us and minister to us and will meet us in the various places that we are. And God, we recognize that every time we gather, there are supernatural things at work. And Lord, we pray that nothing we would do would hinder any of them. Our desire here is to honor and glorify you. We are thankful and grateful for your perfect and errant word. We pray that you would now speak to us through it. By the power of your spirit, you'd give us ears to hear, that our hearts would gladly and willingly receive, and that we might take courage to live out that which you say to us today. For your glory, honor, and praise, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, the kingdom of God makes everything seem upside down. In other words, this is just another example of how when we're reading and studying the Bible, and yet we're living, we're, we're reading this and living in this world, and things just seem, uh, listen, upside down. I mean, everything about our lives, our happiness, uh, as we try to flourish in life, in the kingdom of God, all of those things that we externally see and know and, and if we're not careful, become natural to us, they're upside down in the Scripture. You know, the Bible says things like if you want to gain your life, you have to lose it. Or if you, if you want your marriage or your family to flourish, then it can't be your number one priority. That's upside down. 
if you want to make the most of your time as part of a faith family, your church attendance. Well, in order to do that, you have to give and not take. Because in the kingdom of God, it's in the emptying of ourselves. It's in the reverse of what comes natural to us that we're actually filled up. And so what the Apostle Paul does here in 1 Corinthians 14 is he is once again, as he has done repeatedly through this book, he's going to squash this notion that we enter into this gathering like some kind of spiritual flea market, which so many people do, looking for coming to church, looking for some nugget of something that's going to help them, that's going to serve them, examining things until they, you know, I don't want that, I don't want that. Oh, this is what I want. Taking something home if it is something that seems beneficial to us. Now, if you're a Christian, then you already should know that that's not the way church works. We gather first and foremost to bless God. Secondly, we come into this place to be a blessing to others. And then it is as a result of those first two endeavors, only in the context of those first two priorities, will we, re we receive the things that we need and desire for ourselves. And so keep that in mind as we look at 1 Corinthians 14. Remember that the reason so many people get tangled up about conversations like this is because whenever you open the Bible and start reading, you see words and you just associate it with what you know. But how, how do you know what you know is correct? What you've heard of, what you've seen, what you've experienced may not at all be what the Bible's talking about. And remember this, that most of the confusion about 1 Corinthians 14 comes because people don't understand that there are 13 chapters that precede this chapter. And that everything that we've talked about for eight months is all relevant and bears upon what is here. And you cannot take something just out of its context and begin to have a conversation about it. If you take the text out of context, what are you left with? A con. Yes. 1 Corinthians 14. Verse 1, pursue love, the Apostle Paul says, and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he, he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation to comfort and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues. But even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless 
indeed he interprets, that the church may receive edification. Now let's just pause here for a moment. So here's what's going on. These Corinthians that, that we're all very familiar with, if we've been here for all these conversations leading up to today, we should not be surprised that what they have done is created an environment where they were using this some ecstatic speech or unintelligible language so that they might look impressive to one another. We said months ago, I told you, one of the central problems in Corinth, some of you remember, this was a blank on your listening guide. One of the central problems in the church at Corinth was gift envy. Remember that? And this is yet another example of the fact that human nature is to constantly search for something about us that's special. Something we can boast in. Something that sets us apart. We long for this. And life in a fallen world somehow seems to always result in competition. Everything becomes a competition. How we look, what we can do, our skills, our achievements, our successes, all of these things. And so Paul is not giving us new information. He's saying the same things he's been saying, just in a different context to further drive home the point to us and also address yet another manifestation of problems within the church at Corinth. So if you have your listening guide, not new information, Paul is saying, repeating again, you all have gifts and those gifts are not about you. You see, in order for a gift to be a spiritual gift, it has to be primarily for the edification of the body, of the church, of the family. That's what spiritual gifts are. Back in 1 Corinthians 12, he said, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Multiple times, in multiple ways, this continues to be uh, repeated and repeated and repeated. Spiritual gifts work for the benefit of the body, not for the believer. Over and over, we've said these things. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to deal, begin dealing with this issue of tongues. Next week, we'll dive deeply into the issue of prophecy but we need to deal with this first, not because it comes up first in the text, but because I don't want to be talking about prophecy and all of you are, are distracted by what's going on with tongues. So let's just go ahead and do it. So if you came here today excited that I was going to speak in tongues, well, it would be exciting. But I wouldn't count on it. Now, we know what the gift of tongues is because we walk through the book of Acts. And if you want to know what the gift of tongues is, all you have to do is read the book of Acts. It is clearly, clearly shown to us in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit of God fell that there was a, a, assembled there people from all different nations all around the world. People began to speak the Word of God and 
all the hearers could hear in their own native language. And it was an evidence of the power of God to proclaim the word of God to the people of the world. And then again in Acts chapter 10, the gift shows up again when Peter preaches to Cornelius. And then later on, there's a gathering and the Holy Spirit falls on Gentiles. And Gentiles begin to speak in tongues. And the reason for that, we said, is very obvious. It's so that the Jews would recognize that the power and the Spirit that the Gentiles received was exactly the same as the one that they had received at Pentecost. Because if it wouldn't have been in Acts chapter 10 that the Gentiles started speaking in tongues, then the Jews would have believed that the Gentiles, because there was already this tension to believe that Gentiles, because they weren't circumcised, were second-class citizens in the kingdom of heaven. And God proved that that was untrue by the exact same manifestation in Acts 2 happens in Acts 10. Exact same. And then as if that's not enough, we have Acts chapter 19 where uh, we see the 12 in Ephesus that were familiar with the baptism of John. Paul lays hands on them. They receive the Holy Spirit. They speak in tongues. Again, it is a known language of the hearers spoken by someone who doesn't know the language. So, that's pretty simple. So this is why Paul is going to contrast speaking in tongues here with the gift of prophecy. Notice what he says, like in verse 3. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. So you see, just by way of really all I'm going to say about prophecy this week, but just so that we know what we're talking about, prophecy is speaking the truth of God to the hearts of people. And evidence of that is what I'm doing right now. And so the following verse in verse 5 says, I wish you all spoke with tongues. Now, of course he does. Of course he does. Paul's not saying, I wish you all did what some of you have, have experienced in your, in your past. Some of you have experienced, you know, it freaked you out. Some of you have heard stories or seen YouTube videos or whatever the case may be. Well, that's not what Paul's talking about. What Paul's talking about is what's seen in the book of Acts. Of course, Paul, listen, I wish that all of you could speak to people the Word of God, people who don't speak English, and they would be able to hear in their own native language. That's a good thing to wish, but here's the thing. If you don't know people that don't speak English, then what good would it do? None. Zero. Paul even is going to go on at the end of this chapter. We'll see next week. He's going to say, I speak in tongues all the time. Well, of course he does because he's always going before people of different nations that speak different languages. And it's just a gift that God gives. But it's interesting to me that Paul says that many times in his ministry, he's been, in foreign, he's been around people who spoke foreign languages and they've understood him. And yet Paul never, ever mentions it one time time not once there's zero mention because it's not 
that big of a deal. Wacky people make it a big deal. The Bible doesn't make it a big deal at all. It's not a big deal. There's no reason to get all cranked up about it. Verse 5, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues. You see? Unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. You see? So, in other words, if I'm with you and we're in front of a group of people that don't speak English and you start speaking and what you're speaking is the language that they speak I won't know that because I don't speak that language unless somebody inter it lets me in on the fact that they're understanding what you're saying. You see, I, don't, I won't just inherently know that you're speaking the, a, la a different language correctly if I don't know the language, right? Well, of course. That's not complicated. Verse 6, but now, brethren... If I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by teaching? See, here's what Paul says. What profit would it be for me to come and speak to you in tongues? We all speak the same language. It would be of no benefit at all. How would there be a benefit of that? But rather, what we should do, you see this when he says, but speak to you by revelation, knowledge, or prophesying, or by teaching. What he says is, listen, we all speak the same language. What we ought to do is focus on what the Word of God says. That's what we ought to do. Now, some people uh, would say that the gift of tongues passed away with the apostles and is no longer... Uh, uh, a gift that God manifests today. I wouldn't say that. I don't think the Bible teaches that. Now, I've spent a lot of time on the mission field. I've, spent a, I've been all over the world in all sorts of different contexts. And I'm not sure if I've ever spoken in tongues or not. There is one instance where I'm not really sure what happened. I just know that somehow God supernaturally intervened and, and helped me and got me to where I needed to be. It was the very first time that I ever went to Brazil. It was only me and another pastor. I had never been there before. This was all new to me, which is crazy thinking now, you know, all these years later. But so I go there. And uh, we met with, we, we got to Kudarupu, where Pastor Richie uh, lives, and we got in late. We spent the night, and the next morning we got up, and we were going to go do some things. Now, understand, you know, all of this, you know, Pastor Richie's ministry was just beginning. Uh, we were the very first church to sort of get involved, and so everything was new, and so nothing was really sorted out. And uh, so it was all new to him. And, of course, he was really excited. And so uh, we get up the next morning. And, um, 
you know, the first thing I realized when I got to Brazil is I'm a giant. And nothing is made for me or fits me or any, you know, nothing. All the cars are like little bitty things. Everything's tiny. And so, uh, and everyone looks at me like, whoa. So we get up the next morning. The, the other pastor that I'm with is a giant, but in a different way that I am. You can figure that out. So, you know, here we got two giants in different shapes. And we're about to go do something. So Richie gets on the back of a moto, and he's got a guy that he knows there in his little clown car. And he's going to take me and him in the car because we're going to fill the car. And he gets on the moto, and he drives off. We get in the car. We start going down the road. We, don't, we make it about, I don't know, maybe a couple miles down the road, and the car breaks in half. Literally breaks in half. And the guy freaks out and gets out, and he's, you know, carrying on in Portuguese, and we're both standing there like, you know, and he's, and so we're just standing there like, well, what are we going to do now? Well, then he leaves. I have no idea where I am. I've been here for about 14 hours, and I'm, you know, and I'm, I'm standing there, and I'm thinking, well, this is how it ends. I mean, I don't have a clue how to get back to where we, I mean, I, I am completely in jeopardy. So we start walking. Well, here's what we did. We came up with a plan. The plan was, all right, we, you stay here. I'm going to start walking so we both won't die together. So I left him there, and I start walking. Well, I'm walking, and I'm realizing as I'm walking, this is bad. This is super bad. I mean, I don't even know how to explain anything. And nobody speaks English. And so I'm walking, and I'm getting really stressed out. So then I just start praying. And I come across this guy who's just kind of standing under this mango tree. And I just walk up to him. And I start explaining to him my situation. And I don't even know why I was doing that. I just felt compelled to do this. And somehow he does this and takes me home. Now, I don't know what he heard, but I know God did something, and he took me back to where I was supposed to be because I didn't even know where that was. So maybe that was speaking in tongues. I don't know. And the reason I don't know is because there was no interpreter. There was nobody there to go, hey, by the way, that was some good Portuguese. What? I don't know. Now listen, this is so simple the way Paul lays this out for us. Look at verse 7. Even things without life. Now keep this in mind, okay? Even things without life, whether a flute or a harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds... How will it be known what is piped or played? For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? I don't think I need to explain that. It's so simple. God's saying, you can't just make a bunch of random noises. It doesn't work like that. You can't just bang away at the piano. You have to hit the notes in the right order, in the right way, in order for it to make beautiful music. 
When you say things, they have to be in an intelligible language to make a difference to the hearer. Verse 9, so likewise you, unless you utter by a tongue words, you should underline, easy to understand. See that? How will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, so if you start saying something, and it's unintelligible what it is, then I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and him who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Neither one of us is going to know anything that's going on. Verse 12. Even so you, since you are... You see how they are? There's gift envy. Zealous for spiritual gifts, which is good as long as they're actually spiritual gifts. Let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Do you see again? All spiritual gifts are for the edification of the church first and foremost. That And here's, and here's the thing. In verse 12, you see the purpose of spiritual gifts and you see the importance of the motivation for the desire. So, if it's a spiritual gift that's not for the edification of the church, then it's not a spiritual gift. And people who desire some gifting and their motive is not to use it for the buildup of the church, again, are in error to the Scripture. See, our gifts have been given to help others experience what God is like. That's what they're for. So when I found my way back to where I was supposed to be, then the rest of my time there, uh, I was able to, because every time I've ever preached in Brazil, I've had an interpreter. And so people say, well... Uh, you've never spoken in tongues? Well, I've never needed to because I've never not had an interpreter. So why would I? There's no point. It would be unneeded. God never does anything for nothing, right? Of course not. But I was able to bear witness and give a testimony of the fact that uh, the whole time I was there, every time I preached, I told that story. And I said, and I found my way, you know, and he understood and brought me back. And even when we got back, I had them ask him, does he know any English? And he said, no. And they're like, well, how did you know to bring him here? He goes, I don't know. I said, well, I know. I don't know what happened, but I know who did it. Yeah. Now, what we need to do is we need to, we need to invest our time wisely this morning. I want you to drop your eyes down to verse 26. Here's what the, Paul says. 
How is it then, brethren? Now remember what's going on in Corinth. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. And so the Corinthians are very zealous. They're, they're very, uh, many of them are very successful uh, in business and because the, the Corinthian economy was super strong. And so there was a lots of opportunity and money to be made there. But they were very zealous and competitive. And they had brought the economy of the world into the church. And so they were all wanting to show themselves to be more spiritual or more talented or more gifted than others. And I spent some time thinking about verse 26. Whenever you come together, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. Because, there, because it was a, a melting pot in Corinth of people from many different backgrounds and places. And so it would have been a, a, an opportunity for people to be able to use the true gift of tongues. But what was happening was many people were perverting it into an opportunity to elevate themselves. But when he gets to 26, it got me thinking about our conversation several weeks back. About the way that we approach the gathering. Because really, what 1 Corinthians 14 is about is not tongues or prophecy. It's about what happens when we gather. That's what the whole emphasis of this whole conversation is it just so happens that he's dealing with the things that are happening there but we ought to think for a moment about what happens here remember I pointed out to you several weeks back the passage from Ecclesiastes 5 that talks about the Bible says we should walk prudently walk prudently carefully as we go to the house of God and draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools for they do not know that what they do is evil. That you can't just barge into church. You can't just come, you know, zooming in on fumes. It, you can't approach God any way you want to. I think a lot of times we assume that God's just thrilled that we made it. No, the Bible says, do not be rash with your mouth. Be careful. Think about the things that you say. Think about the things that you Sing that you hear. Let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. Consider it. Think about it. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore let your words be few. See back in uh, 1 Corinthians 11. Paul said now. I praise you, brethren, that you remember, you remember me in all things and keep the traditions 
just as I delivered them to you. See, that statement in chapter 11 was the introduction to, he's saying he's, he knows that there's a lot of things going on in the church that shouldn't be going on, and he's going to address them. And he's letting them know that that's what's coming. He's letting us know that that's, you know, and he's saying, listen, you, you should remember the things that I told you and the way that I delivered them to you. Because it's important. Because it matters. You see, we, we are all been gifted. Every believer is gifted. And every believer is commanded to steward that gift. And so you'll have to give account for what you did with your gift when you stand before God. It's each of our individual responsibilities to discover how we've been gifted and to make sure that we steward them appropriately. It's not optional. And you see, when we come together, that's where the primary function of all of our giftedness should be used, is in this place. And so I'm going to work really hard over the next couple of weeks to try to help you with this and try to sort some of this out. But I want you to start thinking about this. That if all the gifts are used for the building up, for the profit of all, before you start thinking about yourself, just think about that statement and what what is, what is necessary, regardless of what your gift is, what, what are the essential things we know have to be present, have to be taken seriously for you to use whatever gift it is you may have? I think here's a good starting point. See, building up others, it takes time, it takes proximity, it takes repetition, and it takes preparation. You can't just fly in here by the seat of your pants and think that you're going to be effective at encouraging anyone. That's not how that works. You see, in order for you to be a... a, a a good steward of how God has gifted you, you have to understand that you're going to have to invest time in that gift, in figuring that out, in utilizing that. You're going to have to invest time in that. You're going to have to think about that and pray about that and work through how that's going to function. And it's going to take proximity. You know how you cannot? This is the problem with all of you that are watching me right now online. You're voided out of this conversation. You're voided out. You have to be in proximity. The only way this works is if we're together. And if anyone in here knows anything about encouragement, then you know this. It takes repetition. You don't encourage somebody one time in one moment with one. No, you have, it takes, because listen, discouragement 
is hard to defeat. And so it takes ongoing encouragement and edification. And it's going to take preparation. You got to be prepared. You have to prepare yourself to be used by God. It's interesting that the perspective most people have in church is that only the people who are up here on the platform have to prepare for what happens in church. As if you just come and sit as a spectator and don't have to do anything in preparation for being here. Nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing could be further from the truth. See, so every time we gather together, you should show up expecting opportunity or confirmation. I think the two things that you should always come in to church expecting are opportunity and confirmation. Opportunity because God has gifted you and God wants you to utilize that gift. So he's going to put opportunity before you. You just have to be willing and open and see those doors and walk through them. The way you discover your spiritual gift is not necessarily by taking a test or reading a book or anything like that. It's by taking advantage of opportunity. It's by trial and error. It's by doing things and confirmation. That when we gather, what you find is the people who are prepared to be here are the people who are continually hearing God confirm things in their life and heart. That's how that works. Opportunity and confirmation. And the reason for that is that nobody, nobody, me included, everybody, nobody gets to use their gifts unsubmitted to others. That doesn't, it doesn't work like that. No one gets to use their gift just unilaterally on their own. It doesn't work like that. If you do that, it results in chaos, carnality, and confusion, and you end up with exactly what was going on in Corinth. Look at verse 33. I'll show you. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. And then look down at verse 40. Let all things be done decently and in order. Now, both of those two statements are there because things in Corinth are not being done that way. Because things have... have divulged into confusion and chaos. Now think about something. God is omniscient. It is impossible to know everything and be confused. Would you agree? Of course it is. So of course God can't be the author of confusion because He knows everything. This is why His plans always work. They always come to pass they're not dependent on us 
He's not the king of confusion. He's the prince of peace. That's what Paul's saying. But of peace. He's the author of peace. The Spirit of God is convicting. But he's not confusing. And if you think about what you hear over and over and over and over, not just from me, but from the other pastors and leaders here, you hear certain things just constantly, constantly you're being reminded and edified and encouraged in these certain ways. Just like when we talked about loving God and how to love like God loves. And how so many people want to turn it into a formula and you can't do that. And how so many people get frustrated with the statement that you, you, you need to ask God, well, what is his will? People get frustrated with that. Do you know why people get frustrated with that? It's because... They live their life in such a way that God's will is hard to find. I never seem to have a problem figuring out God's will. Never. I never have a problem with that. And, and a lot of you never have a problem with that. Because when you walk in the Spirit, you cannot accomplish the work of the flesh. You can't. But if you think that God's always playing hide and seek from you, you're the one who's hiding. You're the one who's hiding. He invented communication. He's the master of letting you know the things you need to know. The master. Yes, the spirit is unpredictable, but it's never uncontrolled. Never. The Spirit of God is never out of control. And so the, the, the thing you have to realize is that we are we're still in this flesh shell, in this broken world. And, and we, we interact with a supernatural, sovereign, perfect God. But we live in a broken and dark and painful world. And those two things are constantly, you know, creating some mystery in our lives. And we have to remember that, yes, we have limited time, limited intellect, limited creativity, imagination, ability, energy, capacity, relationships. Yes, all of the things in our life seem to have limitations. So, yes, there are going to be times where... We feel confused, but, but here's the thing you got to remember. When you feel confused, God's not confused about you. He's not confused about your future. He's not caught off guard by some event that's happened in your life. He's not confused about how he feels about you. He's not confused about the prayers that he hears you pray. He's not confused about the decisions that you, you're making now or the decisions you've made in the past or the ones you'll make in the future. And most importantly, he is not ever confused about how he loves you. He's never confused. So if there's confusion, it's on our part. It's not on his part. 
And so we have to remember that part of our calling as we gather together in this place is to experience a small taste of heaven. That's why all of us have received spiritual gifts and all the gifts are to be used for the edification and encouragement and the profit of the family of God, the body of Christ. Remember in chapter 13 at the end of the love chapter, what we talked about last week about the fact that we're in the aviary right now. But one day, when the teleon, when the perfect comes, we're going to be where we were meant to be. And when we get there, God doesn't change. We change. We will know as we've been known. Remember that conversation? Yeah. And so... What does that look like? What do, we, what do we know about heaven? It's a place of endless beauty. Um, unfathomable enjoyment. Stunning precision and magnificent order. You see, in heaven, everything, everything is the way it's intended to be. There's, there's, there's absolute... In the, in the Garden of Eden, everything was perfectly ordered and had a perfect purpose and had a perfect intention and a perfect function, including Adam and including Eve. And that's what me and you are going to be dwelling in for all eternity if we're born again in heaven, which is an amazing thing to think about. But you see, between now and then, Here's what we have to remember. And I think, I think this is the most important verse in this whole chapter. Verse 37. This is what we have to remember. If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual... Let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. Do you know what the most important thing for us to do as we think about spiritual gifts and how we function together as a family and all of these things? You have to, you have to remember this. Even Paul knew, he's aware clearly by what he says, he's aware that what the Spirit of God is saying through him to the, the church at Corinth is the Word of God. And when it comes to what God says in Scripture, there's going to be things that we don't like, things that we don't understand. But we only have two choices. You only have two choices. Either we change or we make ourselves God. 
That's the only two options. See, God's word is a remedy in our lives, but it's also a sword. It's both. But every single thing, we, we, we work so hard here not to give you our opinion or our ideas. We don't entertain you. We work really hard. We spend countless hours making sure that we're as faithful to the text as we can possibly be, regardless of how we feel about it, regardless of, and here's the hard part for me, regardless of how you feel about it. If you read the Bible then you already know. It's offensive. It offends you. It offends your flesh. It offends your human tendencies. It offends your wants and your desires. It offends all of the, the, the broken places in our lives that we're trying to hold on to and we're trying to hide in the closet. It offends. It seeks those out and offends them and it exposes them and it, it bothers us and it pokes at us and it frustrates us. And if, if you're here this morning and you don't experience that, then you're not paying attention. You're not really here because it's impossible. To not feel that way. What, what do we do with all of these things that they bother us? Well, let me tell you something. One of the most important things about you is what you do about the things you don't understand or the things you don't like. It probably will tell me more about who you really are and what your eternal destination really is than maybe any other thing about you. What do you do about the things that you just don't like or you just don't understand? Do you just skip over them? Do you just pretend like who knows and move on? Are you going to push away from the things that make you uncomfortable? Or are you going to ask God through His Spirit to help you? Not to fully understand it. Not to like it but to trust Him. To trust Him. You see, it's not because everything that we read is good. It's because everything about Him is good. This is why every culture 
that has ever existed in all of human history has had a problem with Jesus. Including this one. This is why in Luke chapter 12, the Bible says, Jesus said, do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. And you say, now didn't, didn't Paul just say that he's not the author of confusion, but the author of peace? Doesn't the Bible call him the prince of peace? Well, absolutely. Well, then how do I reconcile that thought? Well, if you read the context of Luke 12... What Jesus is saying is that he didn't come to create division. He came to expose the division that has always existed. You see, the division's already there. The gospel just exposes. You see, when you are confronted time and time again, when you come to church, when you open the Bible, if you're confronted with the truth of God's Word, what it does is it exposes, it causes division. It divides, it, it separates the sheep from the goats. The true from the false. Yes, that's what it does. But if history has taught us anything, it must be. That humanity at its core will always gravitate towards selfishness. Always. That people in every time, every culture, every season have an uncanny ability to deceive themselves into thinking that everything is okay. Just like today. And we do it to justify Continuing to do whatever we want to do. See, our culture sees a gathering like this this morning. And they say, feed me, entertain me, meet my needs. Give me what I want. We're obsessed with our independence. We're so head over heels in love with ourselves. We say, you, you can't tell me what to believe. You can't tell me how to feel about something. You can't tell me who to vote for, what to be passionate about. What to, how to spend my time, how to spend my resources, how to love my wife or husband or kids or any of those things. And you certainly can't tell me who I am. That's the mantra of our culture. And here's the little secret that nobody seems to want to admit. is that what's happened is we've confused freedom, options, we've confused them. See, we want freedom. We're obsessed with having options. 
for everything. Everything in our lives, we want to customize it. We want to make it the way we want it. Everything. Everything is about what do we like and how do we want it and how can I display the uniqueness of myself in whatever it is that we do. But if you look closely, what you're going to find is all these things that we call freedom are just building blocks that have built new jail cells that confine us. That's all it is. You see, how do you reconcile a culture obsessed with the customization of everything and yet yield yourself in submission to the rock of Scripture that never changes? Mm. The Bible shows us if we're willing to see that any of us who endeavor to follow Christ, if we really want to follow Christ, if we really want to follow Christ, then what we need to do is live every day in consideration of what our life says about the God we claim to love and worship. It's not about showing up here once or twice a week and deceiving yourself into thinking that you're getting some star next to your name in heaven and everything's going to somehow work out okay? No. You walk in here unprepared because you don't consider your life. You don't consider your entertainment choices. You don't consider your spending habits. You don't consider your social media feeds. You don't consider... The things that you give your affections to. What do they say about the God you claim to worship? You can't do one thing there. And try to do another thing here. See if Jesus... showed up today and he stood before a large crowd in 2022 America what do you think he would do? He would do the same thing he did in the Bible. He would speak the truth and he would thin the crowd. That's what he would do. He wouldn't tell you what you wanted to hear. He would tell you what you need to hear. So if you're not interested in living your life for the kingdom of God, if you're not interested in filtering all your freedoms through the lens of how they affect others, then you're probably not born again. And you're deceived. And you will spend eternity in hell. It's just that simple. I love you. And I want you to understand that nobody. Nobody. 
Nobody can come. Think about this one thing. Nobody can come to the table of grace. You can't come and sit in here at the table of grace and have no concern in your life for those out there who have yet to experience this. It's impossible. But we can convince ourselves. See, some of you right now, you know what you just did? You heard what I just said, and then you immediately said in your mind, but I do this, 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 and this. You are Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Stop defending yourself and receive the truth. The greatest thing that you could do today is be honest before a God who loves you. That's the greatest thing that you could do today. The most foolish thing that you could do today is fear man. Is sit smugly Concerned about what other people think. No. It's just about God. He's the only one that matters. If we truly want to know what it is to flourish in this life, we have to die to self. We have to. So that means I'm almost done. It's, I'm like the surgeon. I'm getting close. I know you're hurting. I know this is bad, but don't worry. Maybe God will sew it back up. I don't know. Every time you come to this place, all of your dreams, all of your hopes, your plans, your frustrations, your, your, your fears, your fe all of those things, you have to hold those in an open hand. Because they're yours. And you have to have a level of trust that whatever He has for you is better than what you have for you. And so if He wants to, Take something out of your hand, you willingly give it and let him put what he wants in your hand because he knows what you'll never know. He knows what is ultimately and eternally best for me and you. I have to trust him. So we don't come in here unprepared. A church is a, a community. It's a family. It's a body that God has put together to function in a specific way. But just remember what we're doing here whenever we're here. We proclaim Christ to a prepared community. We don't come in, feed me, enlighten me, entertain me. The last 
warning I have for you today is if as you approach this time this morning as you got yourself up and got yourself ready and whatever that entails to come to this place if as you approach this time One of two things was true. Either you weren't even thinking about what was going to happen when you got here. Or you were thinking about yourself and what was going to happen when you got here. If either one of those two things is true, you need to repent. Repent. This is not about you and it's not about me. When you come to this time, you should be thinking about how God's going to use you in the lives of other people. That's what this whole thing is about. Let's stand and bow our heads.